0: Hey everyone, it is Sean and Dave here from Saturday Morning Cartoons. We want to thank the following people for going to patreoncom Cartoons and supporting our show. So a huge thank you to Derek Haynes, Doctor Jason Woods, Jamal Newman, Melanie Harker, Allison Keane.: the one and only Sean Paul Ellis, and the amazing Dave Trumbore. Oh, thank you so much. Now it might sound kind of weird that we are thanking some familiar people and ourselves in this list, but we want to let you listeners out there know that we are not just asking you to support us through Patreon we are actually putting our hard-end in dollars uh, into the show as well. So we just want to say thank you to those who have supported, and for anyone who can't but would like to help that, help out the show in some way, feel free to share our Patreon page within your social media circles. It would really help a lot. So thank you, guys. We appreciate you going to patreon.com slash SaturdayMorningCartoons to sponsor and support our podcast. And now, on with the show. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the weekly podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules the world's weirdest animated series. Coming all the way from Hope Island, I am your co-host, Sean Paul Ellis, and joining me in the Wildlife Sanctuary, I have two special guests that are here in the studio with me. I have the Hennebach Visiting Scholar of Environmental Humanities at the Colorado School of Mines, Dr. Shannon Mankus is returning.
1: Hello, Sean. Thanks for having me back.
0: Thank you for being here. And uh, we also have um, actress, model, and hot dog, (laughs) Melanie Harker. Hello. Friend of the show, Melanie is back.
2: Delicious. Hot dog. Take a bite. (laughs) I crunch. (laughs) Oh, that's a weird hot dog
0: yes oh man so uh so thank you both for coming on tonight you're welcome Uh, sadly for everybody listening uh dave is on travel and Mm -hmm. wasn't able to to join us so safe travels dave Uh, and we look forward to having him back next week but this week is very interesting for all of us because we are getting into what i feel like for a lot of people is sort of their uh a cartoon that resonates with them that they kind of came up with on their childhood, and regardless of, of where you were, there were there were anchor points, there was relatability in this show, there was a diverse cast mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of things that were included in this, and we are of course, talking about Captain Planet yes. all
2: those all those points led us to Captain Planet only Captain Planet
0: I, <laughs> I really think you could have pretty much gone anywhere with that, but I, I feel like for me I feel like Captain Planet is one of those those shows that and we'll talk about this a little bit more that whenever we sort of talk about maybe the the theme music or something that's associated with this song wise i feel like a lot of people want to jump into it right away and we're gonna dispel some rumors and some myths tonight Mm -hmm. so this is this is pretty intriguing so uh to get into this a little bit more See, it is, it is already an earworm and already extremely infectious. We're
2: infected. We're infected. Polluted. Uh, so, to,
0: to kind of help us uh, understand a little bit of the history of Captain Planet, Melanie, would you kind of get into this for us?
2: Sure. The Great Tome tells us Captain Planet and the Planeteers is an American animated environmentalist television program created by Ted Turner and the one and only Barbara Pyle. The series was produced by Turner Program Services and the Deke Entertainment and it was broadcast on TBS from September 15, 1990 to December 5, 1992. A sequel series, The New Adventures of Captain Planet, was produced by Hanna-Barbera and Turner Program Services and was broadcast from September 11, 1993 to May 11, 1996. Both series continue today in syndication. The program is a form of edutainment and advocates environmentalism and is famous for having a number of famous actors providing voices or the
0: villains. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let me ask this. Uh, was was this a show that either of you watched growing up?
1: Hilariously? I have vague memories of catching maybe a few episodes. I think most people really? who meet me and know what I do assume that I mainlined this show as a child or something. <laughs> but I, in fact, did not. I mean, I was a big uh, Fern Gully fan, obviously. Same. Very uh, no, same. Yeah. I mean... It wouldn't be. And what? then the
0: sequel, Ferngully 2. No, mm-hmm.
1: I don't talk about mm-hmm. that. We don't? No, we what don't. What about
0: talk. when they rounded it out with the trilogy? No. Ooh, no. Just Avatar. That's not the trilogy. <laughs> of oh, Avatar.
1: sorry. Yeah, no. The trilogy is Ferngully, Pocahontas, mm-hmm. and then Avatar, which are essentially the same movie. Oh. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Which one was the innovator? Oh.
1: <laughs> Colonialism
0: was <laughs> the innovator. Oh no. Oh, low blow. Okay. Uh, Melanie, did you watch this at all?
2: I Definitely watched Captain Planet, and I wish I had remembered how poor the accents were, but I have no recollection until we rewatched it.
0: Okay. For me, this was definitely a show that I watched a lot. I feel like this was a before-school, possibly uh, after-school show for me, and I, I, I watched this so frequently, and to kind of get back into it, it was really interesting because I think... In part, it was the villains that really made this. And so I, I, we can talk about... We have uh, three distinct villains that we're going to talk about tonight. One's really not a villain, but more of a henchman. Mm-hmm. But kind of going back and recapping over all of the other villains that were in this show, there are a lot of weird weirdos that are in this that makes this show so super unique. But especially because of the time and the place of this in, in terms of our history... I don't remember a ton of other cartoons that really sort of focused on environmentalism, especially during this time because of the, weirdly enough, we had this last week with My Little Ponies talking about recycling. Um, But that was sort of a drop in the bucket and and kind of a one-off for that one episode. So I'm trying to think of other shows that tackled issues of environmentalism uh, maybe Digimon. I mean, Digimon was definitely uh, one. Digi- I, Digimon hits you so hard over the head with environmentalism; it's a little bit uh off-putting at first.
2: I that I think that's that's what the adult lens on it. I would say as a child, I did not think about Digimon as being like a formative piece of how I came to understand recycling. But you know, it what was what? is Rocco's Modern Life. Really? really?
0: Okay, so I'm curious. I've watched a lot of Rocco's Modern Life. I actually don't know which episode you're talking about, Melanie
2: same i don't know what episode it's on but it is the song well let's actually take
0: isn't it called zanzibar
2: is this what this is called i think this is yes Yes. zanzibar episode 39 of rocco's modern life which is a musical style episode for earth day and has rocco pitting the sound citizens against conglombo and it's pollution and they sing this song and it's r-e-c-y-c-l-e recycle C-O-N-S-E-V-E-R-V-E, conserve. I know how to spell. Don't you P L L O U T E pollute the river, sky or sea, or else you're gonna get what you deserve. And then there's like a lot of lyrics that I didn't know existed, which is um, <laughs> the ozone is in horrible condition from fluorocarbons in our atmosphere. They are too small to be seen by normal vision, but there's getting to be more of us every each year. We come from a variety of places. Like styrofoam containers and aerosol cans, we love to eat the ozone. It's our favorite dessert. And if you don't have an ozone, then the sun can really hurt.
1: Wow. Wow. I must admit,
2: we make a lot of garbage.
1: (laughs) This dump is filled up way beyond
2: the brim. If we don't make an effort to recycle, the future could be looking mighty grim. There's more. Someone's (laughs) cutting down the Oteman forest. It's not enough to sit around and grieve. If we don't protect our flora and our fauna, then we won't have oxygen to breathe. I don't think that's how it goes at all. But then I know this part is R-A-C-Y-C-L-E, recycle. (laughs) C-O-N-S-C-R-V-E, conserve. Don't you P-L-L-O-U-T-E, pollute the river, sky or sea, or else we're going to get what we deserve.
1: All right. Wow. Wow. Nice. That is a, that's pretty detailed.
2: So this is, this was the episode, and that song is what made me and Captain Planet and Ferngully, especially because as a child, I grew up next to a large uh, protected forest area, so Ferngully hit me specifically very hard, Uh, and this and Captain Planet I put kind of in the same boat, although they are very, obviously one's a movie, one's a TV.
1: It's uh, it's significant that Captain Planet started in 1990 and a lot of the sort of um, shows that we're talking about are circa that era because yeah. Earth Day 1990 specifically was a really big deal and was a sort of resurgence of the concept of Earth Day. There was a lot of hullabaloo, if you will, around that particular year's <laughs> Earth Day. So it was definitely like... In the water.
0: I mean, is that one sort of like the not like
1: pollution, but like a <laughs> like, like a an idea, like, like a, a like bliss? No, like oh, a drugged no. idea in so, the water. But I'm I mean, was
0: ahead. that was that Earth Day nineteen ninety? Was that sort of the, the time when uh, the whole recycle campaign came out? No, I re- I remember that being very early nineties though.
1: It was um it was definitely a focus, uh, but we were talking about a lot of the issues before that, um, specifically pollution. Um, I don't know how much you actually want me to say about this, but the crying Indian campaign. Uh, that the ad council put out was sort of um, a shot over the bow in terms of pollution. But what's interesting to know about that uh, is that, all right, so for people who don't know, there's this ad, basically, it is a Native American, um, except it isn't. (laughs) It's a Sicilian guy pretending to be a Native American, (laughs)
2: Um,
1: paddling down a river, encountering pollution. He drags his traditional, quote unquote, canoe up on the bank. Somebody lobs A sandwich or something out of their car it splatters at his feet and you get a close-up of his face um, and a single tear rolls down his cheek right so this was sort of the big this was a big cultural moment um so it turns out that that ad was partially sponsored by the american can company and also bethlehem steel so Recycling actually, recycling and anti-pollution came out of kind of, they were managed a little bit by these companies that had a vested interest in us continuing to consume disposable material. So a lot of like recent writing has gone back and sort of looked at the, this focus on recycling and pollution as a way to not question actually consuming materials, um, that ultimately, even when we recycle, are sort of being used up. But yeah.
0: Oh, wow, Matt! I, I have I so have many no questions. <laughs> I have so many questions. It's probably not the rabbit hole we want to go down. No, tonight. no, no, no.
1: Captain Planet.
0: But well, before before we get into everything that is uh, music and theme related in this, uh, for people who aren't aware, let me give you a very quick synopsis of Captain Planet. So. Gaia, the spirit of the planet, is awakened from a long sleep by hoggish Greedly, who happens to be drilling above her resting chamber. Realizing that the damage is extensive, Gaia sends five magic rings, four with the power to control an element of nature, and one controlling the element of heart, to five chosen youth across the globe. Kwame from Africa, Wheeler from North America, Linka from the Soviet Union, Changed to Eastern Europe after the Soviet <laughs> Union's <dead. Bucks. laughs> uh, Dissolved. We have Guy from Asia and Mati from South America. Uh, these five are dubbed the Planeteers and are tasked with helping defend the planet from environmental disasters and making efforts to educate humankind to keep others from happening. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's just... I, it's it's hard for me because I can't think even with. It, it's very hard to to believe that this show came out in the early '90s and it's still something that's very very prevalent in the zeitgeist. A couple years ago, I think they had Funnier or Die mm-hmm. did a spoof of it with Don Cheadle as Captain Planet. There are so many people who who know, remember, and kind of and and can sing along with this song, and so. Shannon, looks like you have a question.
1: No, I don't have a question. I have something to add to that. Leonardo DiCaprio has optioned the rights for a Captain Planet movie as well, and that is in production with HBO. So, yeah, that's been talked about since last fall, and I guess it's actively being produced right now. So, yeah, it's still very much in the air and water. I am
2: in the air and water. I'm so curious to see what an HBO Captain Planet is going to be if they went this extreme I have I have a lot of thoughts about like the line of extremity that we tow with this show and to imagine in the hands of HBO, I like we're going to get Game of Thrones at this.
1: Well, and that sort of goes along with the Don Cheadle satire, right, where he the the joke is that it's uber violent and he's basically just erasing people from the planet. Right. Well, so, I, mean,
0: I could I could totally see that we've had we've had certain things that have been uh, adapted. We had Mighty Morphin Power Rangers that had a reboot you know, mm-hmm. within the past year uh, that was modernized for a more modern audience. And it's a little bit more battle-driven, I'll say. We even have a, a director, producer, writer, Adi Shankar, uh, created a, a bootlegged version of what he thinks modern-day Power Rangers would look like. And it is violent. And mm. it is very violent. Mm-hmm. And it has James Vanderbeek in it. If you look this up, it's uh, Adi Shankar, and it's just uh, search Adi Shankar Money Morphin Power Rangers. It does not disappoint. It is, hila- it is It is brutal. It is hilarious, but it's really, really cool. And you can see some of those elements kind of made it into the modern day release that they, the theatrical release that they just had. But it's Ooh. kind of fun to see. And I would love to see a little bit more of a gritty uh, Captain Planet. Did not want to be woken up. Did not want to have to get into this battle.
1: Gaia's back
0: and she's pissed. And please, fingers crossed, let it be played by Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg.
2: So I I have a question about the title of this show. So I've not really ever given much thought to the fact that we all shorthand the show to just call it Captain Planet. Nobody calls it Captain Planet and the Planeteers. The show is very clearly about the Planeteers being sort of, like, navigating the world is the nice way I'm going to put it, as opposed to, like, being constantly saved by Captain Planet. So, why are we focusing so much on this, like, blue athletic superhero
0: wait is he blue I thought he was more white with sort of like black yellow and red accents and then just a lot of sparkle and glitter whenever he moves
1: he's like bluish silver and I realized the reason he sparkles and glitters is because he's solar powered which (laughs) I never realized (laughs) before but that's
2: crazy (laughs) oh my god that's the best that's awesome. Also,
1: what about Gaia, right? Isn't she supposed to be a deity? Why does she need other people to do these things for
2: yeah, her? Yeah, there's like, I have a lot of questions about power structure
0: here. Mm-hmm. Oh, fair enough. Well, we can get into these in a minute. But I think the thing that we've been kind of hitting at it and talking about has been sort of this intro, as well as also this outro music, which is equally important. And so Shannon, I'm going to go to you first. And what were, your, what were your thoughts and feelings on, let's begin with the intro, for this
1: so the intro is not the catchy earworm that we've been thinking this whole time which i believe came as a surprise to all of us um but i think is a is indicative of the sort of convoluted mechanics of the plot right that at the beginning of each episode basically somebody has to come on and say like okay there's this deity gaia gaia woke up Gaia's unhappy. Gaia gave out rings. Here are the different rings. Here are the different people. Here are their powers. Together, they're a Captain Planet. Boom. So it seems more functional than catchy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think that it serves in a lot of ways to kind of summarize what they shot through very, very quickly within the first episode that we watched for tonight uh, to kind of establish exactly what's happening in this show. Because ultimately, when you think about the introduction for this cartoon it does not start off in a positive manner I mean it's Kwame and the first line does anybody remember what it is he just goes our world is in peril (laughs) and you're like oh crap like what have we done? <laughs> I was
1: focusing on the world music, the <laughs> the uh, saturation of red and orange and the desert earth, which I was like, oh, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they really, I mean, they hit you, they hit you hard and they hit you up top. I don't feel or believe that when I was a kid, that resonated with me. That sort of warning sign at the very beginning, it was like, are we getting to the, are we getting to the cool powers? Like, I, I literally would watch this theme song for the point where Wheeler would shoot flames into a, an overpass <laughs> in order to, to stop, like, an armored truck from making, like, a getaway.
1: Well, the interesting thing, right, is Kwame's, like, upset about the Earth, but Wheeler is dealing with, like, all these weird social problems, right? And in the in, when we first meet him and in the intro stuff, it's either, like, armored trucks or a guy's beating up another guy with a chain and, and Wheeler, like, makes a fist and the person runs away. Right. It's It's much more urban and... Well, and that's something that we can talk about, the sort of like juxtaposing of America as a metropolis and Mm -hmm. Africa as a desert wasteland, Mm -hmm. which is a problem. Um, But anyway. And
2: Soviet Russia as being this like beacon of what, like fairy forest farmland?
1: I use a lot of Fs
0: for that one.
1: And order and discipline, too. Oh,
0: Very and, and beauty. Like, they can support birds and life there. And Guys, we all know Chernobyl <laughs> happened. That's,
1: oh, my God. They
0: got rid of a lot of live animals in that area.
1: That's actually, they're, they're making a comeback. That's a whole other conversation. Oh, my God. There, there are documentaries on, like, the wildlife of Chernobyl. Now. Really? Yeah, anyway.
2: So I'm going to show my age on this question. But why make the choice if you're going to pick from all corners of the world in quotation marks, or really like someone from each continent ish. Why choose Soviet Russia versus, say, France or Ireland or
1: I think that there's a real effort to try to make a point about global cooperation being necessary to save the planet as a whole. So that's probably in my mind that was why they picked quote unquote sort of political enemies um to to make a point about the greater good versus political infighting okay i don't know if that's true but that's
2: <laughs> because because what's her name from asia gi from asia looks like she's from singapore like that the way that 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 structure was in the background and i didn't know that people from asia were experts at dolphin running but apparently they are
1: which that reads very differently in a sort of environmental age where we have a lot of uh, documentaries about um, porpoises and whales and uh, Japan specifically, which are also problematic. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's uh, again, it's like America, Soviet Russia, which are places, right. and then it's South America. Yeah. Asia, I, I, it's, it's, Africa. It's
0: so hard when you, when you look at these because you know, I, having been to South America, um, and I was specifically in Bolivia, it was one of those things that when you would ask, like when people would ask you, and they, they prompted and they told us this far in advance of the trip, they're like, when you get there, just say that you're from North America. Uh, and if somebody, you know, and that's, that's fine. You can ask people like, you know, where are you from in the country? but they're like, don't say, uh, you know, they, they were trying to steer us away from making any commentary that would allow people to open up and just say, well, I'm an American too. Right. I'm South or I'm from Central America. Right. Uh, which, you know, are, are commonly not thought of in terms of geographical land masses as, as, you know, you don't think somebody from Brazil is just like, I'm a South American. You think them saying that they're from their actual country of Brazil and saying Brazilian. And so for these, it was, like, something where they were just, like, people, they were, like, if you, people see an opening, they will get a little bit angry about that. And I, but being, like, a college kid, I was, like, I do not want to piss anybody off on this trip. I just want to go and enjoy this. Right, so. right, yeah. So thank you in advance. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's crazy that they didn't, like, give them, I mean, maybe they delved deeper into this throughout the entire series. And really, you get a better understanding of where Mati, because uh, he looked like... He, he was close to a rainforest is kind of what you saw, but maybe. there, there are a
1: leopard and a monkey, but there
0: are multiple countries that are in South America that all have rainforests right. that are throughout them. Right. You know, with Guy, as you mentioned, it looked a little bit like it was Singapore. Like maybe like, you know, it was in that Southeast Asia, you know, specific area, but like you don't actually see where she's from. There's so much that's in this first episode. That's just like, we got to get them to Hope Island and give them these rings right now. Yeah. And it is the timeline is escalated. And so I think, you know, you don't get as much of a rich back history. The hope is that you get it later on in the show.
1: Except for Wheeler, who says specifically he's from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Right.
0: <laughs> right. You get real specific <laughs> with him. They get they get oddly specific with him. And I, I, I truthfully, I mean, I. I'm assuming that because it's an American audience, or because this was probably shown first to an American audience, that they they were trying to give that as like a point for for white young kids like me to be able to watch that and just be like, oh, that kid, he's from he's from Amer- he's from America. Oh, he's from New York. Oh, that's cool. And he controls fire. That's oh, what a badass power. He got the most badass power out of all of them. Like, it just. It kind of feels in some cases like they were queuing that up to be successful for
1: young white males from America. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that's
0: what I'm saying. Yeah. Also, uh, I was a young white male and I'm also I have red hair. And so there are not many heroes that are in cartoons uh, that are young white kids with red hair. And so for me, I was like that. What a cool name. What a cool power. I dig it.
1: I was going to make a Wheeler look-alike reference earlier. Oh, boy. No. You're going to start calling us all toots during the... uh, You fucking
0: asshole. Rootsky (laughs) Oh, my God. It was so bad. Uh, Some of the language in this is weird. But let me... uh, Before we get into some other things, I just want to quickly point out, we have talked a lot about the intro for this and our world is in peril and sort of setting the stage for this cartoon and the characters that we have that are involved. But let's talk about something that I feel is almost it's equally, if not more important than this uh, Harbinger of Doom intro that we get from Kwame. Uh, This exit music that we have, I think, is probably some of the best known exit music for cartoons out there at all. Shannon, I want to turn it over to you. Did you have any thoughts on this?
1: I mean, the outro music is the theme song that we all know and love. So my thoughts are it's amazing.
2: I want to make a sweeping statement like the reason we all remember the theme music at the end is because those um planeteer moments really hit us in the heart where we all remember
0: it the whole uh, I'm a planeteer you can be one too yeah like
2: I'm captain planet and you can be one you can save our planet too the power is yours and then the theme music and you're like you're right the power is mine I feel it in my soul yeah and then I'm like, suddenly I'm bopping along to the music and that's why we all remember it. Subliminal messaging.
1: That's Yeah, that's amazing. The, because the, the music follows the arc of the show, right? Where you come in with a problem and then you get the, the problem is solved in the show. And then you get actual things that you can do to help solve the problem at the end. And then you get basically the jock jams of Captain Planet. <laughs> it's pump up music to go turn your, off your light bulbs.
2: Exactly. It's your personal theme music. Yeah, right? like that's why we all remember it, because we're like, yeah, I can do this, this is my Captain Planet. He's our hero.
0: Yeah, going to take pollution down to zero. So let me zero. let me let me put this out there, because we talked about that this show, as Melanie posited earlier, thinking about the full theme song or the full title, not theme song, the full title of the show is being Captain Planet and the Planeteers when really the focus for a majority of the show is the Planeteers, Captain Planet sort of comes in typically towards the end in order to provide some relief or help them overcome a situation that they can't handle on their own. So when we dig into this actual exit music, right out of the gate, it starts with Captain Planet. These Planeteers, who again are the focus of this show, are just like, you know what, we'll see you at the end of the theme song. It's going to be cool. When they do the roll call for our powers, we'll we'll come back then. Uh, but for the most of this, we're just going to focus on Captain Planet. You know, the guy who's in the show for a total of... if This is a 22-minute cartoon. You figure there's a minute for the theme song, a minute for the exit music. So that's 20 minutes total that we had there. He's the guy who's only in it for about two minutes. So yeah. we're going to occupy 18 minutes of your time uh, with commercial breaks as well. But also, you know... we'll two minutes. Yeah. Let's just make the show all about that guy.
1: The Planeteers are like his hype men. They're just like, (laughs) exactly. Just building anticipation for his eventual. I think it's interesting that in the first episode, his name isn't even mentioned. Gaia is like, oh, and if you can't handle it, then just put your powers together. And I don't know, you'll get a surprise.
0: I I also love in that moment that guy is just like, you know what? You don't need an instruction manual. You'll figure it out. Go fight. (laughs) Young children. Yeah, right. Who are flying an airplane.
2: (laughs) The more that we talk about Power Rangers, we mentioned Power Rangers earlier, but it is interesting that the creators of Captain Planet in the message that they're trying to bring across, which is like the work that you do individually is if we all do it together, that's how we're going to save the planet. But, like, manifesting that into, like, a blue-haired, potentially solar-powered being, <laughs> like, making that, it feels so external. Like, I really never felt like Captain Planet was an amalgamation of all of their powers, even though he has all their powers. But it it didn't feel so much like like he was a little bit of each of them versus, like, Power Rangers or other, like, mecha monster, like, mecha machine um Cartoons where it's like, no, Voltron is like an assemblage of all these things. They can't beat the bad guys unless they work together. Like, you don't really get that as much with Captain Planet. Like, it feels like Captain Planet does his own thing, and then the Planeteers soap up some, some sponges, and they're, like, scrubbing down the seals that are covered in oil. Yeah,
0: but I think the important... So, two things for you. One... Uh, sort of having the planeteers show you exactly how you can help. Those are the actual, that's the actionable takeaway that you as a human being can do to affect your environment after some type of a natural disaster. That's the thing that you can do. That's supposed to be the relatable point where like, yeah, you can go out and you can scrub a penguin or a seal and you can help <laughs> can them. Can
1: you? How often do you do that?
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I've never done that personally myself, but I mean, in terms of, you know, if there is oil, if they happen to, you know, get exposed to some type of an oil, you always see those videos of people who are kind of very lightly or gently brushing off right. some of the oil that's there. I don't there. watch so, those videos. So, so I'm not... Time. <laughs> I don't know about you. But... But, so, but the... But the I'm sorry to cut you off, but the second thing I wanted to say is that you not thinking that Captain Planet is an amalgamate uh, of... or an amalgam of those actual powers, I disagree with you. Uh, he has a red visor over top, which to me symbolized fire from Wheeler. He has green hair, which was earth like Kwame. He flies a majority of the time, like wind like Linka. His body is sort of this, as we've mentioned, sort of a, a silver and bluish shimmering, sort of like water. And then he has a giant emblem, which is like where his powers originate from. Like that's over top of where, you know, maybe his heart is. You know? And so I really when I look at his character and how they actually built it it might not have been an implied or it might not have been the direction that they were going for, but I can definitely see elements of those elemental powers. I wasn't trying to do that. That was not intentional. <laughs> 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 do not rap air horn <laughs> for that. <laughs> 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 uh, but I do, see, I do see the elements kind of within him um, and the character makeup that he has.
1: I get what you're saying, Sean, but I kind of agree with Mel that I think that it, it's sort of a weak metaphor, especially in terms of and the whole point of Captain Planet and the point of having an American and a Soviet person is this idea that, like, globally we have to work together, and together we're stronger, working as one than apart. You don't get the the sort of individual um, characters. I get that you get them sort of symbolized. Okay. But the other place that I sort of want to talk about that is at the end, right, when they give you instructions almost all of the instructions that they give to you are about doing things yourself, not about working together. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that that's a theme that the show wants to sort of push, but doesn't know how to do it Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways.
2: It's a hard, it's definitely a hard message to say, we each have to do it. And if your fellow man is not doing it, you need to bring them along with you. You need to help them as well. Cause like, you know, that I always, this is like the third time this week I've gone back to this. The story that you hear in, like, Chicken Soup for the Soul or whatever about the little boy on the beach with all the starfish, and they're throwing the starfish. He's, like, picking up one and throwing it into the ocean, and the old man's like, Oh, you're not going to get anywhere. i throwing them starfish. And he's like, I am for this one. And then he, like, picks up that one. And then he picks up another starfish. He's like, this one I've also saved. This is paraphrased, obviously. (laughs) Not copyright. Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, But... Like, that's an interesting thing that they, it's a hard message to put across that like every, you have to talk to each individual person in order to, to get a community to do their part.
1: But when you put it on individual people rather than sort of group action, you also take politics out of it. Truth. Right? Yes. So this is, this is something that a lot of people who work on um, environmentalism and the humanities think about a lot, right? Is when you put the onus on individual people to do things like turn off the lights, then you're not looking at what the actual real problems are when it comes to scale, right? Which is sort of like corporate pollution and that kind of thing. So there isn't a lot of call to sort of think about systems and think about politics and think about working together, getting involved in your local community as much as it is like, ask your parents not to drive as much, which is good, but it's not... Uh, it's not collective.
0: Um,
1: yeah, which makes me sound like
0: it's, it's really interesting, but it begs the question for me, Shannon, back in 1990, did they know enough about these collective actions or processes to really be able to educate people? I mean, we know this now, you know, 27 years into the future, but 27 years ago in 1990, were these things that we, we understood as well as we know now
1: when you say that they knew or that we knew, right, you're sort of flattening everybody into kind of one like layer of knowing or not. So I, w- knowing. I would
0: say it's people who are in your field specifically.
1: Uh, people who are in my field. Yes. Right. Yes. Or scientists. Okay. Yes. But no, I mean, obviously we're looking at this in retrospect and we sort of see it as what we call greenwashing, right. Which is this idea that corporations are putting out, um, environmental messages that are pretty weak to make themselves look good, but that won't actually harm their bottom line or substantially change the way that they do business or that kind of thing. But I do think when we were talking about the Leonardo DiCaprio version of this that's coming out, right, I am really excited to see how it's different because this, the two episodes that we watched are firmly of the moment that they were made. So in 1989, the Exxon Valdez spill happened. So right. this cartoon came out the next year, right? So for now when we see people like brushing off animals covered with oil, it seems like a sort of trite image that we've seen a million times, but that was like the moment when that, that, that was happening. So yeah, no, definitely. I'm sort of looking at this in retrospect, Sean, but. Okay.
0: So you bring up a great point, Shannon, in talking about that these cartoons are very firmly of their time when they were made. So. Let me segue into talking about animation style. And so did you have any thoughts on that?
1: That's someplace where I'm really out of my element. I don't think I could distinguish between animation styles very well. It just sort of looked like everything that I watched as a kid.
0: Okay. (laughs) No, no, that makes sense.
1: (laughs) I'm not a connoisseur of... No,
0: no, no, no. I mean, you know, these a lot of these cartoons that are within the late 80s, early 90s have a lot of uh, very distinct stylizations in terms of what they have and so Melanie do you have any thoughts on this
2: I would say of all the humanoid uh, cartoons that we do watch uh, for this show that um, this probably most closely relates to Brave Star and I kind of say that also because of the drug episode that we watched Um, but that like the like characterization of um, like the drug dealer is is an unhuman or inhuman in some way or like all of the, I mean, well, we just saw two in this episode and honestly, I don't remember other villains, but the villains being inhuman in some way. Um, and, and then like the kids being very like homebred, totally, totally normal kids. Um, even if their skin colors are different, but like going in that direction, um, just, yeah, really made me think of brave star. And then, I also kind of, like, I kind of associate this style a little bit with, like, early Alvin and the Chipmunks, too, but I don't know why. Couldn't give, a, couldn't give an academic reason okay. at all. But all right. uh, I think of, like, the, the Dave character in Alvin and the Chipmunks as feeling very, like, extreme facial expressions, but also, like, a lot of stock reuse footage and, and things of that nature.
0: Sure. Uh, for me, this sort of made me feel a lot like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but with much brighter kind of like less nighttime vistas and settings, uh, and sort of more, uh, open air kind of, you know, on Hope Island, uh, things were a lot brighter. Uh, and so this was still kind of at that point where I think a lot of animators were still drawing like slightly heavier lines to sort of distinguish a lot of the outlines that they had between, uh, The individual character as well as also their environment so you can see at some points there's like some real weird blocky kind of outline animation uh among people uh and this was also unfortunately a lot of the time where people were still just like hey i'm figuring out how to draw faces sometimes oh my god we saw some some weirdness and and this is This doesn't happen as often with the Planeteers or with Captain Planet or main villains, but when we have tertiary characters that are in this, it really feels like, in some cases, these animation studios were like, we're not going to bring the A-team, we're not even going to bring the JV squad out to animate this. They're just like, we got some young interns who are like super excited and pumped to draw eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And whether or not sometimes they match on faces? Uh, A little bit hard. Uh, It has its ups and downs. What is weird about this animation style, though, is that they really actually do a great job, and I consider this sometimes to be even harder uh, than sometimes being able to, to animate humans. They do a great job at sometimes animating animals.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say that rabbit which that is you, really, yeah. yeah, in the beginning, that like sweet little bunny. It's it's funny, like when I really think about the transition of a lot of some animation in the eighties, like when I think about the animated Hobbit. I don't know why this came into mind. But like there's sort of an artistic direction to that animation style of that movie. But then everything else that you see on Saturday mornings are like they have such a hard time with eyes and specificity. And it's just probably a bunch of interns figuring out what an ear is and do we include it. And then you get later into the into the 90s. And I'm thinking for whatever reason, I'm thinking like Darkwing Duck, like you get a, a, a broader stroke of stylization where they're like, we're going to make a statement about you know, the way that the perspective on this is being drawn, as opposed to just like, we're generally in Washington, D.C., and here are some monuments that might be there, and here's some grass and a reflection pool. And you're like, oh my God, what is happening? And then all of a sudden, we're like on top of the Capitol building.
0: Guys, if you have ever taken a trip or visited Washington, D.C., that's exactly how Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> behaves. No
1: oh my God. In terms
0: of its geography and its access to monuments.
1: I thought we were looking at photographs. We <laughs> <laughs>
0: weren't. It wasn't just photo photorealistic.
1: Rat
2: dealers in oh the back alleys so of Georgetown.
0: Speaking of rat dealers, so l- l- let me f- kind of further explain my-, my thoughts behind the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, the reason that I-, I think this way is that, so TMNT... Had a lot of very distinct villains and characters uh, we know shredder Krang, um, a lot of the the same color palette that they had for those villains um, and in much much later episodes of tmnt came uh, they had very weird bright uh stylistic villains that were in some of these episodes and i felt like a lot of that color palette kind of came forward with this so I wanted to talk very quickly about some of the villains that we didn't talk that I'm referencing that Ooh. I remember. So we, they, had one, uh, they had one female villain. Her name was Dr. Blight. Oh, boy. Urban Blight? We're going to talk about that drug yeah, we'll episode that in a, a minute. <laughs> they had the, uh, it was the antithesis of Captain Planet. They had Captain Pollution. Mm. Uh, there was another character that I straight up, if you had put it in a Ninja Turtles cartoon, it would not have surprised me named Duke Nukem, who was Wait, like, not that, the, not, not the video game. Okay. This character looked, was made out of like pure radioactive energy. What? And he looked like he was uh, the thing from the Fantastic Four. I remember okay.
2: that guy and his Hawaiian shirt.
0: There was a dude named Zarn. There was another business guy that was named Luton plunder
1: wow Uh, but that's not getting into but that's
0: not getting into some of the villains that we're going to talk about in just a moment but before we get to our villains that we have for this evening which i think we can probably gloss over because we didn't even really we didn't get a lot of screen time for a ton of them um I would say, though, that I would love to talk and get our take on the characters that we have, specifically these Planeteers. I think we've, we've talked a lot about Captain Planet so far, but these Planeteers, I feel like we still have some very, I feel like we still have some questions about why <laughs> they made these characters the way that they made them and sort of some of the style choices that they have. So, uh, Shannon, I'll turn it over to you as our guest for first thoughts.
1: So, this was the second time I've seen this episode in the last year. Um, and I definitely went into watching it, even again, with the assumption that I was just going to be cringing all over the place at the sort of um, racial stereotypes and forced multiculturalism that wasn't well done and that kind of thing. And there's definitely a lot of that, right? I mean, um, Melanie and I were talking a little bit about, like, where is Mati from? He's wearing this, like, Incan necklace and this sort of loinclothy thing when we first meet him. And, like, a
2: chest piece, kind of, and, like, bracelet, like, bracelet cups, right?
1: Yeah, it's a rich tapestry of different things pulled together. But I do have to say that during the plot, at least, I was happy to see that it wasn't Wheeler, who ended up sort of leading everybody. Um, we've got Guy flying the plane, we've got sort of people switching off roles and taking leadership roles. So as much as there are things that I think we should continue talking about that um, need to be sort of called out as problems, I also was pleasantly surprised at the ways in which the show put them on equal footing in terms of leadership. I would agree.
2: Something that I am very interested in discussing however briefly, is the role of Makti being the elephant in the room, as heart being some kind of element of of the earth that we all need to have. But so what I what was interesting is a few things. One is that Gaia introduces the planeteers as being the first planeteers, meaning that they're was an intention of the show of creating, like, generations, right, of Planeteers, which we never got to. Or we did. I actually don't know anything about the sequel beyond what I read, so we'll just leave that at that. But then, then she's, she's sort of going through everybody's and their elemental powers, and then she gets to Mati, and he's like, I know what I'm here for. And you're like, yeah, be in control of your power. And then I was like, oh, he's the Professor X of huh. the Planeteers. Hmm. So he's kind of like this. Um, uh, I'm making like a, like a ripply motion with my hands. But uh, he's the um, the amplifier. He's like the amplifier of of all of them. And that the point is that if you don't have um, some level of like compassion for these like wildly dangerous elements, that it can get out of hand very quickly. So. In some ways, I was, like, super not into heart, and I know everyone gets down on heart, but I was like, no, you need that, because otherwise, everything else goes unchecked.
1: Can I just talk about the Gaia hypothesis real no, quick? Let's get into let's let's in this. <laughs> Go ahead, okay. What's the Gaia hypothesis? So in the late 60s and early 1970s... Um, Two people work together. It's James Lovelock. And oh, my God, I can't remember her name. Uh, James Lovelock is the one who who published the Gaia hypothesis. But basically, it was this idea that the planet was a single living organism, right? That sort of all the systems worked together pretty perfectly. And that if you just let it be, everything would self-regulate, right? This is sort of a lot of what we learned in or at least I learned in elementary school and high school about and, carrying capacity and the and web we still, of life and that kind of thing.
2: We still hear about that though, right? Like that's what the the anti um, the anti-global warming folks are just like, if we just let it alone, it'll be totally fine. So that kind of buddies up with that.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. yes. Um, Lynn Margulis, thank you, Sean. That was the um, the scientist who was working with James Lovelock. Um, also married to Carl Sagan. not I mean. Point of fact, not that it it matters who the female scientist was married to, but kind of interesting Hmm. uh, in this particular case. So there's a lot of feeling that that's actually not true, or at least that humans have been sort of messing with the planet since they came on the scene however long ago. Um, And that it's a way of, like a lot of people criticized it for being like, if just humans weren't here, everything would be fine. So I wonder in a way if this idea of heart is the way of sort of connecting humans back to this idea of Gaia. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? I
2: love it.
1: So there's like, we're here now, right? And we have to learn how to work in harmony. We have to be able to like listen to the earth and to like work with the earth in order for everything to be not destructive, right? But actually to return to harmony. That's awesome.
0: No, I mean that, that, that makes a lot of sense why, you know, based off of the, the guy hypothesis, uh, as well as like involving them, why they would include heart. I mean, I, I think that a lot of times and and this is a challenge and, and you know, a lot of times big corporations are, are kind of viewed as such, like as having a nameless and and faceless entity that is, you know, that that is causing pollution or causing problems to the planet. And you realize that at the same time, like there are people, there are individuals that comprise that organization, and if you can work with them, if you can help them understand, if you can be empathetic to what they're doing, and if they can do that to you, then hopefully you guys can. Hopefully everybody can kind of come to a, to a common ground or to an understanding um, that will be beneficial to the to the planet. So I, I don't know. I, I, I never thought about it like that. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Watching this as a kid, I was like, man, that guy got the short end of this thing. <laughs> you know, constantly. Because everybody else is, is, is pulling ocean water across towns. They're, you know, uh, levitating um, on wind. They're shooting fire out of their hand. Or, you know, in, in terms of Kwame, like it's always like that. He's always pulling apart the earth and then shooting up like some type of a rock spire and yeah, then just pretty
1: badass. Yeah, it was just
0: awesome. And then pulling it back down and then reclosing the earth. And I was like, well, it's like you weren't even here, buddy. Like <laughs> it just It keeps all those things were cool. And for me, I think it took me being a little bit more mature and being an adult to watch this to be like, oh, the reason that this is so interesting is because as Melanie said, like, it brings everybody together. And as you mentioned, like, it's one of those things that allows people to kind of have a better understanding or really kind of communicate some of these ideas or or just view the the planet as an organism itself
1: there's also the practical side of things too right where they were trying to hit most of the continents <laughs> and they got <laughs> to five and they were like oh shit what are we gonna do here and although he originally Australia be from Antarctica <laughs> no but that's that's the oh, thing is yeah. they left out Antarctica nobody lives there um well that's not true that's but not true. really it's but nobody's
0: indigenous
1: is that uh there's not a there's not a whole group of people living up there i i actually am not an expert on habitation in antarctica but we at least imagine it as fairly uninhabited um and australia i guess they were just like screw you australia (laughs) um but they were trying to they were trying to get somebody from sort of major Mm continents
0: kind of always curious why they left out why they didn't have a sixth planet here and just throw Australia in there.
1: I would have loved to have heard that bad accent oh, or sort no. of what
0: you were talking about, you know, in terms of uh, why didn't they pick somebody from France or why didn't they pick somebody from from England uh, or, or, you know, any any part of Europe. Why did they mm-hmm. they sort of kind of gravitate towards really the USSR? Like, why didn't they grab anybody from there? those would have been interesting sort of like second or possibly third string planeteers that I could have rooted for as well. <laughs> Cause this is a big job guys. Like they're policing and they're helping the planet. You can't tell me that that little, you know, transport that they're in all the time is going to be able to traverse that amount of, of space and time to allow them to address all the problems. We have to get a little bit of a backup. There has to be planeteer redundancy.
1: Yeah. What if one of them gets sick? Yeah. Who's the backup?
2: yeah they're probably just trying to cut down on white people though
0: yeah okay <laughs> i mean i'm just being nilly. i was gonna say i was gonna say i think that the problem of them having like uh somebody who's faking sick on the planeteers is that matzi could just be like whoa, 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 whoa. that's bullshit you're fine <laughs> get in the transport we're going we got planet crap to do buddy
2: put on All the right. wings
0: um we, you mentioned about bad accents. So we, we have, obviously, and we've mentioned this a couple times, the five Planeteers. We have Kwame, we have Wheeler, Guy, Linka, and Mati. Let's talk about some of these bad accents real quick. Any one of the five that you're like, that was the worst thing that I've ever heard?
2: I don't think Guy has an accent.
0: She- um,
1: I don't know if it's an accent, but it's this odd, like, high-pitched breathiness. Yeah. And, I don't know I appreciate that Wheeler isn't exempt from the bad accents yeah he's, he's
0: right in they are all in there in the mix
1: yeah yeah.
0: for, uh, for me Linka was always pretty bad uh, it always felt like if you're if you're telling a joke with a friend like in middle school and it was about something that was in uh, Russia and somebody's like, "Oh, let me do my Russian accent." And you're like, "Really? Don't. <laughs> really, please stop. Really, please stop."
1: I do love that she calls Wheeler an imperialist dog at one yes. point. Yes. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: Or do they call him a? Or, uh, or is it Gee who calls him a Yankee? Or is that Linka? Gee calls him a Yankee. Yeah. He calls him yeah. A Yankee. Sit
2: down, Yankee. <laughs> In the airplane when he doesn't pull his weight.
1: Wheeler's kind of a jerk. He does oh, not yeah. come out looking looking good.
2: No. He also doesn't deal with uh, p- people in an emotionally extreme situations well.
1: Example? Go on. Well,
2: like, we, we, we haven't dug into either of these episodes yet, but there's a, a point where, you know, Linka is dealing with some uh, serious withdrawal and she's super high on some drugs, and he's like, <laughs> Look at yourself! and like pulls her into a mirror. I'm like, Oh, yeah, buddy, that's really going to get her thinking thinking closely about like look at you look you look disgusting like that's like making her believe she's not pretty is what's gonna get her to stop being
1: on drugs like come I on, do buddy. love that she's like I look great like,
0: <laughs> she goes I look beautiful and get it like, linka oh, get it <laughs> oh god all right yes, uh, Queen, yes
2: he's just not fit he's just not fit to deal with with many of life's uh situations
0: so we we mentioned and we talk about sort of all of these characters there is one big character that I feel that we're kind of leaving out with this before we get into these episodes, Gaia. Yes. Um, any thoughts on Gaia? Couple of thoughts on Gaia. Go ahead. One, Gaia is voiced
1: by Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. Two, the animated Gaia is a person of color, but not black. What's going on with that? Yes.
2: Qu- yes. Same question.
0: Yeah. Person of color, but not black. Yes.
2: She's she's like Princess Jasmine. Yes. Is like the animation style that we
1: get from her. Hmm. Yeah. She's like this odd. She's got like the flowy robes and a lot of makeup. When you were talking about animation earlier, I agreed with everything you said, but I feel like they did bring the A-team for Gaia specifically.
0: Well, yeah, it was any main character. I feel like got the A-team. Anybody else, they were just like, hey. This snake can hold a pencil. <laughs> Great. Let's get him to draw faces. Oh, my
2: God. And, and Gaia's uh, body type was very also specific.
1: Yeah. I mean, she looked quote unquote exotic, right? And mm-hmm. she was sexualized in the way that she was drawn. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Her boobs were huge. Huge boobs.
0: Huge I, boobs. I'm going to be honest. I always just saw sort of the 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 headdress that she has that's kind of on or she sort of has like a, a jeweled thing kind of on top
1: apparently Melanie and i were just looking at I, her I, boobs I, so i don't stare stare remember that i saw
0: purple i always saw like purple robes uh and i i saw sort of the like brown exotic skin
2: i just found it fascinating that they chose not to show cleavage but definitely drew her boobs as being ginormous like knockers they were just <laughs>
0: So let's
1: go back to the Fern Gully trilogy for a minute, right? Sure, sure. (laughs) Let's do it. The trilogy we defined. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a common theme in environmental movies, right? Um, And television shows where there's a sort of overtone of primitivism, where the entity who speaks for the earth is often um, a woman of color who looks quote unquote exotic and it is like an object of sexual interest. Obviously, that's not the case for this because there are kids. But if you think about Ferngully, right? You've mm-hmm. got, um. oh, what is her name? The fairy. Zach is the name of the dude. I can't remember her name. Then Chris- po- Krista? Krista. Yes, thank you. You've got Krista, right? And then you've got Pocahontas. Again, this sort of like sexualized... Um, darker skinned woman who's who's looks vaguely indigenous right quote unquote okay um i mean pocahontas obviously is indigenous but so krista also looks indigenous and then you've got the avatarians no the um
0: the uh, navi
1: navi yeah um this idea that these women and people of color are more connected to and attuned to the planet than like the white male hero is is Um, is an idea that's um echoed from colonial times too where uh there was like a sort of scale of civilization where it was like primitive primitive not civilized like living by the earth practicing quote-unquote magic that kind of thing up to sort of western civilization where you lived in cities that Hmm. kind of thing and it was a way of making people less human too right more like animals and more sort of quote-unquote natural again this is all like very like this is not no one is watching you know captain planet and the planeteers and thinking about this explicitly but i just came from an an eco media meeting uh of the minds um conference and like this is a lot of things that in retrospect when we look at the history of environmental messaging gets repeated over and over again Uh so it's something that jumped out at me
0: it's crazy because it's fascinating. And the more that you're explaining this, the more I'm like remembering and seeing this in a lot of these different shows. So, I mean, that damn. Mm hmm. Oh, I had no idea that we had sexualized Mother Earth. <laughs> well, and Earth, also. Earth Day should be a lot sexier, right? <laughs>
1: it should. You don't think Earth Day is sexy? Uh...
2: We're not celebrating it correctly, apparently. <laughs> no. Well, and then you go back to Mati, and, and I was reading in the Wikipedia that, which consequential of nothing he's also, they're also claiming he's Native American in some way and then he's like descended from some shaman.
1: This is in the Wikipedia Shamanism.
2: So, so then we, mm. yeah, then we get tangled up in like some other stuff. Let's see, Wikipedia.
1: Well that goes back to what Sean is saying too, right? Where South American people are American, right? So calling him Native American would be accurate, but also seems sort of progressive and self-aware of the show.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not so sure that the messaging, again, I feel very strongly behind the fact that they looked at a map and they were looking at the different continents and said, we need to get somebody from approximately all of (laughs) these places and locations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm in no
1: way claiming that they were like sitting down and reading the gaia hypothesis or whatever before they came up with these but it's interesting in retrospect to think holistically about sort of environmental history and philosophy and the ideas that were sort of permeating the time period
0: also ted turner we know you created this and we know you're listening so do us a favor and drop (laughs) us an email saturday morning cartoons at gmail.com and let us know exactly what the intent behind creating all of these different characters from these diverse backgrounds actually was We might be spitballing and be hitting it. We just want to make sure that we're representing you, Ted. So, great. Do we have any additional thoughts on any of our characters that we have before we move on to the two episodes that we watched for tonight's show? (laughs) Uh, These episodes, I feel like they are just crazy and crazy and crazy. I'm
1: really excited to talk about them. Let's do it.
0: Okay, let's do it. So... For our first episode that we watched, which is a hero for Earth, which was the pilot episode uh, season one, episode one, Uh, what were what were your main thoughts, key takeaways, or just what the fuck is happening moments that happened from this? So Shannon, let you go first.
1: For me, when I watch things like this, I really or if I'm teaching like a media product or television show, I like to think about what is the problem? That's introduced at the beginning and what is the solution that's given at the end. Um, And I was really fascinated by the fact that the problem was an oil spill in a wildlife sanctuary, right? And the fact that so much of the imagery that we were seeing was directly lifted from Exxon Valdez. The fact that the show hewed so close to sort of the environmental catastrophes that were immediately in the news at that point.
0: I mean, it, it's crazy to see that, you know, we're, we're introduced to our, our villain that we have for this episode, Hoggish Greedley, in what looked like a giant mobilized mecca, walking through a wildlife sanctuary, ready to drill for crude oil.
1: Terrorizing, to, tiny, adorable, well-animated bunnies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're so well-animated. It was crazy. So, you know, we, we have this whole thing where, you know, this, this giant structure this giant oil derrick is walking through. And, and in this instance, it's amazing because, I don't know, the part, part of me that kind of was like, I wonder if this is actually true in this episode is that no, uh, no National Guard was alerted, no, nobody from any paramilitary organization, no military organization. If the Planeteers didn't show up, would anybody have stopped Hoggish, greedly from being able to do this, and Rigger, his little mouse-like friend that he had that was with him, rat friend. Sorry, not a mouse. Like his front teeth were like giant. Like he was a he You're was a rat. Rodent racist. He was a rodent. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> rodent racism. Oh boy. More importantly, why didn't Gaia just crush their drill thing? Because you see, like they're starting to drill down, and they're like knocking on Gaia's roof. And she's like, oh, what's this little drip water? And then she like plugs it up and then goes to her like what? Her survey cam or like her like scan, you know, her nest, her outdoor nest. Her, CC, her CCTV. <laughs> her closed caption TV.
1: Closed circuit. Closed circuit. <laughs> Close, closed caption. I, I do think that there's a vague hint that there would be people that would show up because I believe Hoggish Greedley says at the beginning that their mecca allows them to get in and get out before anybody even knows that they're drilling, right? So there is this idea that they're going to do it fast so that they don't get caught, which implies that there's somebody who might catch them. Okay. Because then they also
2: are like, is that the Coast Guard? And then they say, no, it's something worse.
1: But you're right, Sean, throughout all of this, there is, again, and it goes back to this kind of like voiding politics or, you know, yeah. there's this idea that We're going to pay attention a lot to different regions of the country, of the globe and how they're different, but we're not actually going to deal with politics or the state directly. Or that politics
2: won't help you. Right. Which is what we see in the second episode. Of, like, in fact, the capital has has left, has just abandoned yep. all these people and are not going to help them.
0: Right. Well, you know, kind of, I mean, I hate to say it, but in 2017, looking at, you know, <laughs> political environmental issues that we have that are going right. on, this, this brings, tr- like, this episode rang true more for me now than it ever would have back in 1990. And I think that's frightening. 27 years into the future and this episode still holds up and is still creepy? Yeah as well as also the second episode that we're going to get back into. But Melanie, I wanted to ask, was there, was there anything specific that happened in this episode that you, you wanted to comment on?
2: So the part of the opening episode of any series that I think about or take a look at closely is when the team gets their special power or their weapon or whatever, and then they're taught how to use it, or not. It kind of depends. And so in this instance, you give, very specifically, a bunch of, Prepudescent teens with their own tempestuous experiences, and you say, Here's some of the most unpredictable elements in the world. Go for it, see what the fuck happens. And Gaia is really just like trial by fire, like, sure, take a look. And like, Wheeler almost burns down the entire place, and they try to like almost windswept, like Link almost like breaks her fucking neck, like levitating herself. I mean, it's It is the most ridiculous assumption to think that these teens are going to know how to control parts of their being. Like, it's just unreal.
0: But do you think that it was something that if if they had failed in their task from Gaia, that she would have been like, well, I gotta find five other kids from five different continents. Ooh, harsh. I didn't
1: think about that. Maybe let's not do
2: teenagers. I mean, I'm cool with anything else. Like 10-year-olds, great. Perfect age. 11, even better. You go to 12, and then shit hits the fan. Yeah, preteens are the worst. They're just the worst (laughs) in general.
1: Melanie, are you making the argument that because they can't control their like... Hormones and emotions that they okay.
2: Like how are we going to assume
1: that they can control fire
2: if they can't control how how they're feeling that day?
1: I don't know. I feel like I could have controlled fire at 13. I couldn't dress myself very well, but I could
2: If they can't shave their own legs, how can they control water? I don't get it. It seems like a poor choice. I would choose eleven-year-olds or seventeen-year-olds. But, like, none of the in between.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
2: Skip all that in between shit because they got their own mess to deal with. Middle school's hard. Okay. Getting your period, hard. Especially if you're like on a crusade to save the world. Yeah. Um an airplane. Yeah.
1: Going in Ooh, don't want that. Don't want
2: cramps on an airplane. Hell no. No.
1: It's <laughs> all bad. But this is a common theme of a lot of these movies, too, right? It's a sort of adolescent or teenager i i heard a great talk at one point by um dr jerry canavan who talked about how this is such a weird thing that we do that we put all this responsibility on kids who actually really can't do a lot without their parents permission right it's like it's up to you to save the world kid who can't be out after 8 or, like, stay up past 11, right? Or make purchasing
0: choices or that kind of thing. Can you imagine if Guy had prefaced this with, I need all of you to go home and have your parents sign this permission and <laughs> release for <from> <laughs> And they're just, and, like, I just want Wheeler's dad just to be like, what do you mean you're going to be in, in, harm?" Um, you know, all uh, right, fuck it, sign. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> a fire ring? Cool. Cool. Hey, uh, you want to see if you want to sell that? Want to hop that? I'd be like, no, dad, I got to go. I got to go shake my fist and grimace at people in an alley. <laughs> like, oh, all right.
1: Yeah, I guess the parenting skills were lacking before the rings were given out. Right. As like Mati was jumping in front of a leopard, saving a monkey when we first met him so as well.
2: We don't know the family and kinship structure of the Amazonian uh Peoples of South
1: America. Thank you, introduction to anthropology. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I, I have two big things about this first episode that really, um, that really made me laugh. And one of them is directly related to what we're talking about now, which is giving this awesome responsibility to uh, teens or preteens, whatever the age was that we had for these kids, and just kind of shooing them out into the world. My big question is, is that they find these rings. They find these rings. Like Kwame... It is presumably poking holes where he's going to plant seeds in an arid desert. One, it's not a great place to start to start a flower box he there, loves buddy. Trees. Well, <laughs> but according
1: to this show, that's all of Africa. Sure, that's so. all of Africa.
0: But uh, you know, uh, Wheeler, Wheeler finds it when it, it's spit up out of a, a bum's oil drum. Uh, that he saves from a fight that's, that's presumably on the mean streets at NYC.
1: Also, that ring would have been hot. It comes out of fire and he grabs it. Idiot.
0: You know, We have, uh, have Guy who gets a, a dolphin throws her ring at hers. <laughs> I did
1: not <laughs> know a ring of endless light
2: dovetails with this <laughs> storyline at all.
0: Uh, Linka gets hers from a bird and Mati gets his from uh, the monkey. From his monkey. And so with, with all of this suddenly moments later they are all on hope island together how did they get there were these kids kidnapped is this really a kidnapping story from an earth deity who was just like you know what i need these kids i want to give them some jewelry i'll give them jewelry and entice them to come to this island and then i'll lay on this awesome responsibility about how they have to do my job for me because on my performance review, I wrote down that I would do a better job of delegating out tasks. This
2: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: So, so that, that's sort of the, the main question that I have. It's unanswerable, so don't worry about it. The big what-the-fuck moment I have for this entire episode is that uh, these kids encounter a problem, and they realize that they need to call Captain Planet. They call him really not knowing what's about to happen, he materializes in all of his uh, solar-powered, shimmering <laughs> glory. He goes to fight Hoggish Greedly, and in this one of these moments, Hoggish Greedly's this, this giant oil mecha derrick that he has uh, grabs him, and it has a knife that comes out, and the knife at one point bangs repeatedly against Captain Planet's, it, it, his emblem on his chest, the the gold like, sun-powered emblem that he has that sort of looks like the planet Earth. He bangs on it, and in this moment, as this knife is, like, trying to penetrate his chest, as Hoggish Greedy is trying to murder this person, uh, Captain Planet just laughs like a fucking madman? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and says, that
0: tickles. That tickles. It's just, like, I, I don't remember that side of uh, Captain Planet, and that kind of, that kind of for two seconds terrified me for a moment. I was like, is he indestructible? Which we find out in a moment. He's not. You can just throw toxic sludge on him. Also, it helps if you just happen to have toxic sludge laying
1: around somewhere. In like a toxic sludge cannon. <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> One for every home. The other, the last thing I want to say is that upon revisiting this, I was shocked to to rediscover that Captain Planet's outfit is about the same as Wonder Woman's outfit. We have, like, a bathing suit bottom, right? And then we have, like, a little covered top thing. But for the most part, he's fairly
1: revealed. You think more Wonder Woman than Superman? Well, Superman has tights on. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Superman's got, he's covered on his legs. They're very muscular, it's very tight, but he's still, like, pretty covered up. Batman, covered up.
0: It goes with the logic, it goes with the video game logic that if you, if you're a character at a higher level and you are wearing, like, the best armor, it's usually, like, if you're, especially if you're playing a female character, that armor tends to be, like, very, very scantily clad, and it's, like, fireproof, waterproof. You're like, you're exposing an enormous amount of skin <laughs> that has a, an area that can be damaged. But you're telling me that because I put on this dragon bone bikini, uh, that I'm impervious to any of the elements that are about to befall me on my quest.
2: I was just surprised to see that we had, like, the rocky horror of superheroes going on right here. <laughs> I'm also, and I just I'm hadn't a... really considered that before. But I'm
0: also not sure that what we think is his skin that shimmeriness is that his skin or are those tights it's really his skin
1: i think it's his skin but i think if his skin were a flesh tone we recognize they might not have been able to get away hmm. with that costume interesting
2: interesting
1: because you're right yeah he's right? showing
2: a lot of skin a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff well, hey. a lot of hey haircut. captain planet what, what up what are you doing later boy need that haircut Samson and Delilah, let's get it. <laughs> oh my god, alright. <laughs>
0: so, right. so this is our our, this is our pilot episode that we have, A Hero for Earth. So we found another episode. This is season two, episode one. We wanted to be able to watch this for contrast, but guess what? We struck gold with this oh because god. it turns out this is yes another drug episode we found a drug episode in captain planet called mind pollution and so shannon i want to turn it over to you for first thoughts
1: oh my goodness what
0: what was what was like the big key takeaway or something crazy that happened to this
1: uh what i want to say about this for sure is that so the first episode we watched 1989 exxon valdez Also in 1989, there was a severe crack epidemic in Washington DC that caused um, George Bush the first to go on television with a bag of crack cocaine in an address to the nation and talk about it. Um, So this episode, Mind Pollution, takes place very firmly in Washington DC. None of this wishy-washiness about geography here. Um, but no, we have a real drug problem in Washington D.C. in this episode, and it's just totally fascinating.
0: What was uh and our drug that we have for tonight? Bliss. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Get blissed out, man. Give uh, me some of that
0: bliss. Give me that bliss. Get
1: blissed. Out. Yeah, turns you into a zombie. Yeah.
0: Oh man, that this was, and I love this trope that has been prevalent even since any early anti-marijuana uh, propaganda that they've had at any point, um, that it turns you into this mindless zombie, that, that drugs in general turn you into this kind of uh, zombie-like state where you just wander the world <laughs> Uh, sort of, you know, like you're in a George A. Ram- like you're an extra in a George A. Romero movie, right. and you're just, you are susceptible to anybody's whim that they toss out to you, and just so easily impressionable that you could overrun an entire city in the course of what looked like a week. I think there was a week total from when Linka gets dropped off uh, in the our nation's capital to the point where all of the planeteers, minus Linka, Arrive back on Hope Island, and then have that comical exchange where they're like, <laughs> "I thought you were supposed to pick her up. Wait, I didn't. I wasn't picking. Were you picking her? I thought I was supposed to pick her. up. Holy, nobody picked up Linka. Oh and you're just God. like, you know what? Just get get everybody. Just get everybody to DC. Let's just wrap this up. Let's yeah. go.
1: And the Capitol's empty after a week too. Right. Which we mm-hmm. talked about earlier about
2: this sort of like, d- th- w- how could you possibly put your trust in the government if they just fucking abandon you. Right. The whole Capitol building is empty. They make a comment about it. Right. Like everyone who's not high on the drug has like left. But then like, where do they get the the, the tents at the end to help all
1: the people? It's like a FEMA camp at the end. I'm
0: assuming that it's like a, it's a first aid type of FEMA situation. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That kind of came in like at the end, but very quickly too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Record (laughs) speed.
1: linka through withdrawal. Oh
0: god. So, we're going to ask you then, Melanie, mm-hmm. were there any any comments, any observations, any what the heck is happening moments in this episode?
2: So, they There were a few things I was confused about. Uh but the first comment I'll make is that they just all the gloves came off and they really went in for this to be a complete scare tactic episode. Between uh, the villain that we have, whose name escapes me.
0: Oh, it's, uh, Vernonous
2: <laughs> Vernonous <Radice or laughs> no, it's a verminous. verminous radis or
0: something. It's a uh, verminous scum.
2: Verminous scum. Oh, wow.
0: Is um, the the- which he's never actually properly introduced, which annoys me in any episode. I mean, I'm- obviously, I'm sure that he has been in previous episodes. But right. At least give me one mention of a- like a villain's name if I've never seen them before. Yeah. Fair.
2: So we have this inhuman rat dealing drugs to this sweet-faced cousin who's, like, scared and alone, and a preteen, obviously, because all the preteens are out of control in Washington.
0: Cousin Boris. Boris.
2: Cousin Boris uh, at the embassy. And uh, so, so that they go that, they go to the zombies, and then at the very end of the episode, you see, like, all the zombie blissed out. Bliss heads whatever, are coming for the planeteers, and they are getting to the planeteers in any way possible. Boris projects himself through a window in the vice president's office. In the vice president's yeah. office, which is
1: in the capital.
0: Yeah, n-
2: normal, and breaks all the glass, <sighs> and then like you just see these like huge gashes up his arm. And I was like, oh, they're going to show he's bleeding. But no, he was like lying on the ground and he just kept bleeding. And then it wasn't until Guy came over and like wrapped his wounds. I was like, oh, he's going to bleed out. That's how this episode ends. Oh, no, it doesn't because it ends with, spoiler alert, Boris fucking overdoses and dies. And I was like, "Okay, that's how far we're taking this episode. On the dome of the Capitol. On the dome of the Capitol. So which brings me to the next thing that I was confused about, which is the sort of effects that this drug has on people because it seems as though, at some, in some ways, like because Linka was accidentally drugged or was drugged without her knowledge, she becomes under the influence of, of the drug and nothing will get through to her like her friends, her own safety, all these things like everything is just like blissful and amazing. But somehow she is knocked out of the, of the high because her cousin is dead. Like, is that really the line that she needed in order to for the drug to stop working? Like, I feel like no, if you're that high, cracked out of your mind or whatever, like, nothing's going to penetrate it. So I was just
1: surprised that that's what broke her. It is seconds after she threatens to murder Gi with her wind powers. Right. Like, yeah. what?
0: what? Which, so- is, which is amazing to, to understand that she... In this drugged up, blissed out state, she is really unable to use her wind power and attempts to, and it just sort of falters. And you're just, you, you sit there thinking to myself, oh no, there's no way they're going to call Captain Planet now. They are, they are doomed.
1: And they blame it on her mental pollution, quote unquote, right? Yeah. right which is the episode title, that she can't actually summon Captain Planet. Yeah, that also ties in really interestingly to the end of the episode too, right? Again, this problem is drugs. The solution is being mentally and physically healthy, and that's what the actions at the end are mm-hmm. prescribed as as well. Right. They literally say something to the effect of, "You have to be strong and fit to
0: Endurance. save the planet." Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say uh, just a couple notes that I had uh, from this episode. One, I love that uh, our I love that our villain Scum has the formula and notes on how to make the drug that he has been selling, this Bliss, uh, in a notebook that he carries, like in a paper notebook with him that has no defense, and he continues to brag about it and hold it up, like, "Come and get this notebook, yeah." That's exactly what we're going to do. That's how this is going to happen. I'm
2: going to go make some more. Uh, yeah.
0: we've, we've only ever had really one, I believe, one drug episode on a cartoon that has gone as far as Captain Planet has, and that was Bravestar yeah. that we've mentioned tonight. There is a, a drug episode that's called The Price, where the kid dies from a drug called Spin. And it's again it's one of those very cautionary tales the thing that's interesting about these two is that Brave Star focuses on the effects and the family dynamic that deteriorate when one child is addicted to spin this specific space drug that happens on New Texas which <laughs> is funny but doesn't but really like it serves to kind of lighten the mood or the humor behind the episode because it's so dark in tone Um Contrasted with what we have tonight on Captain Planet, which is the entire evacuation of a city that we see by uh, Mati using his heart powers over top of the capital. And he goes, oh, I can tell that everybody who's in here is on bliss and that non-bliss people have all evacuated. You're just like. Holy, how strong are these powers of yours, <laughs> Mati? Yeah, seriously. This is it this is incredible. One
1: of them says at one point, quote, why is it that when the city is under siege by zombies, you can never find a cop? <laughs> <laughs> Which also gets back to this rhetoric, right, where it is very specifically about DC. And if you read it through that lens, it's there are certain things that happen that are bananas too, right? Because they very uh carefully and deliberately evacuate race from this episode, oh, yeah. oh, wow. right like the zombies are almost entirely white. I kept sort of like checking yeah. on that as soon as I realized sort of what was going on um but there's this sort of like hard on crime thing that happens where uh the vermin- verminous scum scum uh. The uh they're on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, the Planeteers. And uh Wheeler uses his firepower to put a wall of fire in front of the zombies. And they do call them zombies, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh Scum says, these planeteers are too soft hearted to stop you. Which is a really because they won't let the they won't let the zombies sort of burn up. So there's this really odd sort of like too soft on crime thing going on, right? Where it's like the, the Planeteers have to toughen it up a little bit to stop these bliss zombies. There's also this crazy statement that gets made really quickly while they're at the Lincoln Memorial where they're talking about how... They're, like, looking at Lincoln's statue before the zombies show up, and they're talking about how he freed the slaves. And he looks so sad. Yeah. And they say something about, like, how do you think he would feel now if he knew that people were enslaved by drugs? Which is, again, in the context of the actual way that the crack epidemic was talked about in Washington, D.C., is, like, pretty uncomfortable. Um. There were a couple of other moments like that too. Oh, this just whole urban blight thing, right? The re- the the first sort of crisis event is that they go to the Russian embassy and they they sort of um, decimate it. But all that they do is just like graffiti they, bliss, bliss.
0: <laughs> over and over again on all, the outside. All, all, but all of the gre- or all of the graffiti that they have for every place that they seem to tag or bomb that's within Washington D.C. just all says bliss,
1: right? it's it's but in response to that somebody says they no longer care about their neighborhood or themselves yeah which is also a sort of denunciation of of this concept of urban blight there was a lot that i was like oh boy this is this is not just a general drug episode yeah but like rural specific it topical. Captain Planet is, is apparently the, nothing non-topical. Not,
0: so let me. This was the final. This is, I think, maybe final thoughts, final notes that we have for this episode. But the thing that really struck me hard about this episode is the method in which Cousin Boris tricks Linka into taking her first bliss. Which is there's this whole thing about how they are, are on their way to go get some food and that they're going to get blinces. And in the process, they sort of get separated. Uh, there's the they get separated because there's the discovery from Linka that drugs are involved, and Boris gets extremely agitated as a drug dealer does, or as a drug person would, uh, in this instance, in a very comical fashion. Because then he just rides his bike into DC traffic, which I'm <laughs> oh just my like, God. I'm just like, you do not want to do that. No, no. Having driven and watched a lot of bikers in this area, you you never want to do that in the, the manner or the fashion that he was going in. But he comes back with a blintz, with two blints that look like burritos in a bag. And this is how giving the blints to Linka is what tricks her. And it's just, it, this feels so deceptive on so many levels. Like there's, you know, there's the camaraderie that they have from both being from, uh, from the USSR, from Russia. Uh, it's the fact that, he is becoming a traitor not only to his, like, not only to his close family and friends, uh, but even to himself, through the fact that he's completely tricking in order to get Linka, to get a planeteer to become a friend uh, or sort of a lackey of this, of scum, this villain. Uh, You know, just the, the fact that within such a short period of time, having a planeteer on your side within one week, can it completely evacuate and decimate an entire population because of a drug? Like, there, there was just so much going on in this episode. I, this almost feels like an episode that I would need to go back and watch two or three more times because of the way that, when it hits this crescendo at the end, it's all downhill. There is so much as this builds and then it hits that moment where they are all at the Capitol and stuff just goes crazy. And 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 to see that happen in a cartoon like that, I don't remember this. I don't remember A, Captain Planet being so topical, or B, there ever being a drug episode that resulted in somebody dying. Well, and the
1: blame, like the issue of blame here is, too, right? Oh,
0: is it's So misguided.
1: <laughs> it's really important that Linka gets tricked into eating the bliss that's cropped up that's crushed up in the blints. But It's also important because when, right before Boris dies, after he dives through the window and he gets all slashed up, Guy is turning to his wounds and somebody says, oh, the drug made him do it. And Um. Guy says, no one made him take the drug. He did that to himself. And then the character dies, right? So it is kind of this, like, almost like he, oh, Wheeler this the says, other way around. Oh, he was it? is
2: in defense that, like, he didn't, t- you know, he didn't do this, like, like, the drug made him do this. And Wheeler's like, he didn't, the drug didn't make it take whatever. Gotcha. You know, what you just said. Yeah, the opposite of that. No, and that's why I was so shocked by, like, the way that Wheeler is trying to get Linka to, like, understand that she has a problem Got by, it. like showing her own face in the mirror and being like, you're so hideous and disgusting because of this drug. Look at you. And she's like, I'm beautiful. Fuck you. See you later. And it's just, you know, I'm like, man, dude, you got to really, teenagers do not know how to deal with emotional stress, especially of drugs, drug stress.
0: So I'll say this as a final note. Clearly we have some opinions about these two episodes of Captain Planet and Captain Planet in general. But guess what? The internet happens to have a bunch of other (laughs) opinions about what they feel about Captain Planet. And so to get us started tonight with our love it or hate it, I believe Melanie is going to read the first one.
2: That was a love it titled, Convinced Me to Recycle. Uh, This is a nine star review out of 10 stars by (laughs) M. Ramsey from the United States in 2006. Uh, Quote, it was probably only made to teach kids to keep the environment clean, end quote. This was posted by a few other people, duh. (laughs) I remember watching this as a kid when it first came out. My brother and I enjoyed watching it every week. It may have been repetitive and a little cheesy, but it had a good message. As far as the show implying that we can't really save the planet, only a superhero can, give me a break. I, at the age of eight, realized that Captain Planet and the Planeteers did not exist in real life, and therefore, it was really up to (laughs) us to help save the planet. I credit this this show along with Raffi's Evergreen Everblue album, okay, and the movie Ferngully, hurrah, as the reason I recycle today. A little plug for those who want to help the environment a little, check out the seventh generation line of products and click every day on the website, the Rainforest site. Happy face. I hope they decide to put this out on DVD soon. Seventh Generation,
1: I'm confused about the DVD I'm assuming bit.
0: it's like a product?
1: Oh, yes, Seventh yeah. Generation is sort of recycled paper towels and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. They they sell them at Target, nice. right? Yeah. They sell them in a lot of places. Cool. I'm not quite convinced that that's the first action we need yeah. to take, but that's, that's good. Yeah, so, fair it's enough. A thing to do.
0: So tonight is a kind of unique because we found a review that wasn't really a love it or a hate it. We found something that was kind of completely in the middle ground, but towing the line under a love it. So let's get into this. This is from Generation of Swine from the United States. This is, I believe, 10 out of 10 stars. And it says, an honest review. And this is from recent. This is from earlier this year, 2007. Teen. So here we go. 2017. 2017. 20. This is, so this is from 2017. So let's get into this. This goes, heart... Question mark, earth, wind, fire, those all make sense. And then heart? Even at 10, I had a huge problem with heart. And as kids, we had a lot of discussions as to how heart fits into the group. So anyways, this was made when preserving the environment was something that both liberals and conservatives agree with. Now, if we were, now, If it were made today, the people that poison drinking water and make acid rain would be the heroes, and the Planeteers and their captain would be communists, trying to fool all of you people into the vast sweeping liberal conspiracy that clean drinking water is good for you and your family. Remember, kids, the Republicans are in power, so always pollute all the time for your health. Only communists care about birth defects. Remember, This is also when the NRA supported guns for hunters who hunted animals and not for racists who wanted to shoot unarmed minorities in Florida. So I guess a lot has changed. 10 out of 10 stars.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of feelings. This is so
0: hard to read.
1: Yep. (laughs) So, So many things. Uh, A communist captain planet would be comrade planet also, which my friend Kiernan came up with. And I really want to see like a mock up of a t-shirt for that. Make it happen. Really badly. Make it happen.
2: Come on, internet.
0: Rory Lucy. Make it happen. Make it happen. So we have one final review tonight that Shannon is going to share with us. And this is our hated. So Mm. Shannon, please take it away.
1: So this is a 2 out of 10 star review from Gas Mask Production Books. This is not an American. This is an individual from Canada. uh, And this was posted in 2015. Captain Planet. I used to like it when I was a little kid. And I thought that saving the earth and going green and all that other garbage was so important. But I was 7. I also loved the color pink and wanted to be a pony when I grew up. My opinions back then on environmentalism were largely influenced by adults, by the school's forced recycling program, by movies like Ferngully, there it is again, and the Toxic Crusaders, it's Avengers, Avengers, dude, and that sort of thing. Looking back on it now, I've only just realized how much environmentalism is forced on kids. Kids these days are told early on that, quote, polluters are monsters. Hippies are wonderful, end quote, and that they need to recycle, drive hybrid cars when they grow up, buy only biodegradable organic items, and hate pollution. I used to believe all those things, but since then I've realized that all of that, quote, go green extremism garbage is all just a waste of time.
2: Oh boy.
1: Captain Planet is pretty dorky. Just saying. The main characters are a bunch of hippie teenagers and this adult man who looks like he took a few too many steroids flying around and attacking anything or anyone that causes pollution. His enemy looks like a walking, talking cheese slice wearing a red leotard Captain Pollution. Captain Pollution's cohorts are all pollution-loving teenagers. I'm on Captain Pollution's side. In all honesty, Captain Pollution and his groups were the only ones on this show who weren't pathetic cardboard cutouts of ideal environmentalists. The soundtrack to the whole show is really lame, and I'm surprised I never noticed this when I was a little kid. This show isn't worth anyone's time. It's a waste of animation and money that could have been used to make something much better.
0: Oh, wow. Strong opinions. <laughs> strong, very strong opinions. I well, think
2: this Canadian definitely wanted to live on the earth that Wally depicted. Like, he yeah. wants to live on that earth. Yeah. That's sad.
0: Well, speaking of want, do we want to recommend this, or do you want to say no to Captain Planet? If you say no to Captain Planet, you have the option to give it the dip. Giving it the dip will erase this cartoon from the annals of history. So I'm going to start with our guest, Shannon. Would you recommend or would you not recommend Captain Planet?
1: Oh, I mean, we've had so much fun talking about it tonight. I'm definitely like going back and making sure that I watch every episode. So, yeah, I'm going to recommend it.
0: Nice. Not
1: perfect, but a, a lots of stuff to mine and think about in this cartoon. Exactly.
0: Other guest, Melanie Harker.
2: I'm gonna be real controversial and not recommend the show.
0: Whoa. <laughs> I'm not gonna give it the dip. Not no. giving it the dip.
2: No, I think it needs to be a part of history as a cautionary tale of what <laughs> happens when we take like really extreme polls on how we should all work together to save the environment and like leave particular things out. Uh, so, like historically, it's critical. But if I was gonna, if I was going to have my child like watch something to teach them why we should be kind to the planet, I'm just gonna
1: go with Ferngully. Oh gosh, Melanie, we need to have a separate episode about why that's not a good idea. But okay.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. As for myself, I am going to give this a hearty recommendation. I really did enjoy this. I'm glad that we had a chance to get back into it. Uh, like you said, Shannon, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, it's not perfect, but I think that there's a lot of merit to this cartoon, and I think there's a lot of interesting things that it brings about in terms of environmentalism might not be the best place to start, but at least to give somebody a beginning. So with that, that wraps up our Captain Planet episode. So I wanted to thank both Dr. Shannon Mancus and Melanie Harker for coming on the episode tonight. Thank you both. Thank You're you
1: welcome. so much for having me here.
0: And I wanted to ask, I'll start with Melanie on this. Uh, where What do you have coming up, and where can the folks find you?
2: I'm not doing anything cool right now, um, but I will be casting for a show in August, so you should go to witdc.org. To check out the announcement for a show that has yet to be titled. So the only way you will know if it's me is if my name's there. Or you can look me up on the Twitters at Melanie Gwynn, G-W-Y-N-N-E. It's Welsh! You're welcome, Dave. And, <laughs> and on the Instagrams at Melanie underscore Gwynn, G-W-Y-N-N-E.
0: Great. Awesome. Shannon, uh, what do you have coming up in the next couple, in the next month, and where can the people find you if you want to be found? Or you can remain off the grid.
1: I believe that I'll be found on the couch with Melanie Harker watching Fern Gully, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I I do love that movie. Uh, Anyway, uh, I will be found starting in 15 days in Colorado, teaching at the Colorado School of Mines. So if you happen to be an undergraduate and want to take my Intro to Film Studies course, uh, do that. It's going to be fun. I also am organizing along with um, a number of other scholars that I really think are amazing um, a, an Ecomedia conference for next summer uh, that's all going to be done remotely. So if you have any interest in participating in such a thing, you don't have to be a scholar. Um, it's all going to be online and it's going to be really cool. And if you want to contact me, I'm on Twitter at at shannon Mancus.
0: great awesome and we will have all that information up on the website as for me i am going to continue to do live improv comedy in washington dc with a group that's called nox that's nox exclamation point we perform with washington improv theater and you can find tickets and information at witdc.org and as always i am on twitter and instagram at sean paul ellis if you happen to be interested in learning a little bit more about the show, you can check out our website, SaturdayMorningCartoons.com. Head on over to our Patreon account, Patreon.com slash SaturdayMorningCartoons. You can find us on Twitter at MorningTunes. Keep up the conversation with us on Facebook. And if you have any emails or questions or things that you would like to complain about Captain Planet and or drug episodes and cartoons, you feel free to reach <laughs> out to us at Gmail. Our Gmail address is SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. And as always, uh, please head over and check out our podcast on iTunes and give us a couple stars. It really does help. And thank you guys so much. That concludes everything that we have for this episode this week on Captain Planet. Next week, we are going to be joined by a guest and friend of the show who will be talking about another one of their favorite cartoons. So please tune in next week. Thank you guys very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night. Hey everybody, thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.